We are singing and talking about grace today. What a great theme grace is. I met a baby named Grace this week. I love the name Grace. Sometimes when you want to pray a little prayer, you say, would you say Grace? In the early service, one of the children hollered Grace right then. She said Grace. Sometimes we see a dancer and we say, she moves with such grace. Or we witness a businessman handling a difficult situation and we say, he handled that with a lot of grace. Today, though, I'm using the word grace in the way that it is used in the Bible. The New Testament word grace, which is God's unearned an undeserved favor for people like you and me. It is described by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 where he continues his personal testimony in verse 11. We've covered the first 10 verses already, now verse 11. I'm going to ask you to join me at the end of the reading, okay? You'll know when I will tell you. When Cephas came to Antioch, Paul writes here in Galatians 2.11, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you were a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. Join me now in reading. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
I have talked about the grace of creation that is spread abroad to all humans, whether good or wicked, on the planet. The next breath you breathe is free air, a gift of God, not because you deserve it or earned it, but out of his favor he gives it. The rain that falls, the sunshine, beautiful sunsets and birds in the sky, these are gifts of God's grace. But today we are talking about a very special, important part of the gift of God's grace, the heart of it, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. You believe that Galatians is the inspired word of God. You believe that Paul wrote in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he penned this letter to the churches. I want you to check what I say this morning with the book of Galatians, the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, 1 John, the teachings of Jesus. Because throughout the New Testament, you will discover that salvation is by grace plus nothing. And it's a message you need to hear. Because even as I speak this, I know that there are folks in this room who will leave without understanding the message I am seeking to make as plain as possible. That the Apostle Paul was seeking to make as plain as possible. For 43 years, I have preached the good news of Jesus, salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus, plus nothing. And still, there are people in the pews who, after hearing me preach, don't get this. So I want you to get it. All right? Your peers will assemble between your ears as you hear these things from the Word of God and the pastor and the Holy Spirit. And people who have whispered to you things before, your parents and friends that you value, others that you hold dear, and maybe some religious professionals that were your teachers. And they, your peers, might protest some of the things I'm going to say. Because grace, and grace alone, for salvation, has been protested since it was first uttered. Don't give in to the peer pressure from those voices in your head, from the people that you treasure, from other teachers that you have had. Don't give in to the peer pressure. See, Peter experienced some peer pressure in regard to this gospel of grace. Before James representatives came from the Jerusalem church, he was eating with the Gentiles there in Antioch. He, a Jew, was sitting down at a Gentile table. Maybe he was eating pork. I don't know. You would think he got this straight from the vision he had uh, in Joppa, the sheet that was let down from heaven, and the Lord said, take and eat. He said, no, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And God protested to him, don't you call unclean what I have purified. When that sheet was lifted up, Peter was impressed with the truth that Gentiles also could hear the gospel and that these dietary laws were not the means of salvation. When he leaves the table 
having eaten before by these, with these Gentiles, but now leaving that table. He is not in his mind saying, well, dietary laws are necessary to salvation. There is a debate going on in the mind of Peter. He is saying, these brothers from James are important to me, and this contingent from Jerusalem that are still struggling with the doctrine of grace, they're important to me. And I hate to lose their friendship on account of this meal that I'm having. So he made the decision to leave the table where the Gentiles were eating and he was eating and to go with these friends of James. Now that is the conflict the Apostle Paul is talking about because on his way from the table, apparently, the Apostle Paul got in Peter's face. He stopped him. And in front of all of them, he challenged Peter on this matter of leaving the table of the Gentiles because the Apostle Paul knew that to the Gentiles this was sending a message that these dietary laws that the Jews practice are really, truly part of the gospel. And it was compromising the most precious thing in all the world. Paul would never have challenged Peter over something that was peripheral or unnecessary. He believed that what Peter was doing was denying the very gospel which he preached. Peter didn't intend it that way. But that's the message he was sending to these Gentile believers. Peer pressure can be a killer. Some of you have experienced peer pressure when people said, let's eat. You're in a group of people. Somebody says, why don't we go out and get something to eat? But somebody is within the hearing of that word that they really don't want in the group. Maybe this never happened to you. And you're thinking, why would we exclude this person? And you're struggling with, well, should I just stand up and say, no, we're going to take them or I'm going to eat with her? Am I going to sacrifice these friendships of the people who are saying, let's go eat, but let's not take her or him? What am I going to do? Sometimes we make poor choices when it comes to eating and who we'll sit, at, uh, sit with at the table. And so it happened with Peter. The apostle Paul is saying this is the very heart of the gospel. And here we cannot compromise. This is so important, I cannot let it go. I am ready to face Peter, who is a pillar of the church, who is the leader of the apostolic band. I'm ready to get in his face and say, no, wait a minute. Your action is compromising the gospel. And you cannot do it. See? You always act in line with the good news of the gospel. Always act in line with the gospel. Peter's action was not lining up with the good news of Jesus Christ that there is salvation freely by grace through faith in him alone. That you don't have to keep these old customs and these dietary laws. That was the issue of the day. What Peter was doing was denying that gospel implicitly to those Gentiles. And Paul was saying, we're not going to have it. We're going to settle it here. We want to act in line 
with the good news of Jesus Christ, which is available to all people. Never act in a way that implies that the gospel is only for a certain group. By your actions, by your words, by your associations. Do not exclude implicitly other people from the gospel. Always act in line with the gospel. When you are faced with an ethical decision or a decision about where you're going to eat or there is conflict within the group, act in a way that lines up with the gospel. It's a principle to keep and hold. It's a way that you can decide what is right and wrong when there seems to be gray area. Act in line with the good news of the gospel. Does my action, does my word, does my behavior reinforce the truth of the gospel that God's grace is available to all? Or am I confusing that? Am I taking away from that? So many things that we take positions on. And sometimes we have disagreements out there. And we have Christians going back and forth about various things. And sometimes I'm part of that. And I'm saying, well, I'm not sure I agree with that position. What we want to do is line things up as best we can with the gospel. Act in line with the gospel. Do not succumb to pressure on this point. There are people out there who, when you leave this room, are going to want you to compromise the gospel of grace. They're going to want you to agree with them that it's grace plus some other stuff. Our flesh so wants to have stuff we bring to the table. Our pride wants it. And so when the gospel of grace is preached, people protest. Don't you let your peers pull you away from this truth. It's the very heart of what we teach and preach. Act in line with the gospel. Don't let anybody pull you away from this. It's the reason Christ died. The meaning of the death of Christ is all wrapped up in faith in him alone, only by grace plus nothing. Find yourself among the sinners. It was interesting to me as I read through this passage how Peter, uh, Paul first says, you know, those Gentiles are sinful. They're sinful Gentiles. We Jews, we have the covenant of God. We have the Bible. We have a lifestyle that God might approve. Those sinful Gentiles, they come by faith alone in Christ. But then he turns around and he says, we are also found to be sinners in verse 19. It's a little bit of a cryptic phrase, but I think he's getting at this truth. All of us are sinners. Sin is universal. Every human being sins. If I talk to a 12-year-old class and I say, how many of you have sinned? If they understand the word sin, they all raise their hand. I've asked them before. I've checked it out. Now, sometimes when they're six, they don't know the word. But by the time they're 12, they know the word. And they know themselves well enough to know that they are sinners. We start out the good news presentation by saying, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all found to be sinners, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we've been raised in religious customs or we've been raised without them. Everybody has violated the law of God. And the wages of sin 
is death. Find yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. And recognize that your sin separates you from God and you can't take care of that problem yourself. There's nothing within you that can overcome that sin. You need forgiveness. You need grace. You need unearned favor from God to deal with that sin, that breach of the covenant, that crossing of the boundary that you've done. You've broken the law. You need God's grace applied to your heart. You go to the doctor, Dr. Law. You say, man, I've been feeling bad. I look in the mirror, I think I'm a mess. Dr. Law runs all the tests. He evaluates you. He analyzes you. Dr. Law checks you out from top to bottom. And he concludes at the end, he says, man, you have a very serious problem. You have heart disease. You need a new heart. And you say to Dr. Law, well, that's bad news. Really hits me hard, but all right, Dr. Law, can you do, can you do the surgery? Can you do the transplant? Dr. Law says, no, I'm not for that purpose. I evaluate, I diagnose, I do not do heart surgery. I got to send you to Dr. Grace. Okay, everybody in the medical world now understands about referring to another doctor because he's a specialist. Dr. Law can analyze your situation and diagnose your disease, but he cannot fix your problem. Okay? You can look in the mirror of the law and see that you're a mess. But you don't then take that mirror and try to wipe your face with it. Right? The law is a schoolmaster that drives you to Christ and His grace. The law tells you, you're broken. You're a sinner. You have failed. And drives you to the grace of God that alone can give you a new heart. Dr. Law dies the diagnosis. Dr. Grace changes the heart. You can't change the heart with law. Do you understand this? The law is too weak. It can't do this surgery that you need spiritually. Only grace can do it. Put your faith in Christ alone. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. It is not faith in your morality. It is not faith in your religious system. It is not faith in your good works that you need. That's an effort to earn your salvation rather than resting in Christ. We are saved by grace alone, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. So, if I go to a feeding station, 
and I am there giving somebody beans, and I strike up a conversation with them, if I say to them, if you, like me, will feed hungry people, then you can go to heaven. No! Wrong! I have just told a lie. Feeding a hungry person is a good thing to do, but it doesn't get you into heaven. If I step out of that baptistry over there, dripping wet, and I walk up on this platform and I say, I have been baptized and now I'm going to heaven, and if you will be baptized, you can go to heaven too. Eh. Wrong answer. Not a work of morality nor a religious work can get you into heaven. These customs, these traditions, these rituals may be important, but when we're talking about you going to heaven, these works are not going to make it for you to go to heaven. You cannot go to heaven based on your good deeds. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done. We have put our faith solely in Christ Jesus. Can you hear me? Are you okay with it? Faith includes turning from trusting in your good deeds. It includes the realization that you cannot earn what you do not deserve. Faith is surrendering the idea that the good deed you've done plays any part in the rescue from your sin. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. What's he talking about? Jesus died on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He died to sin. He died to the law. He sank into the grave. And Paul is saying, I am crucified with him. I too am dead to sin and dead to the law. Paul the apostle spent an entire lifetime trying to keep the law. The law as he grew up was very precious to him. It was so important to him that he saw the Christians violating the law he thought and so he attacked them, he persecuted them, he put them in prison and he even killed them because he thought they were violating the law. The law was like a wife to this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi who was a Pharisee and he worked with all of his might to keep every part of the law. And now he stands in the realization that though he worked with all his might and tried to be as good as he could be under the law, he never made it. It was not a way to salvation. And he had to die to that path. There's not anybody in this room who was raised in a religious tradition more forceful and rigid and convincing than the Apostle Paul. He really believed if he kept these laws, he would go to heaven. And in the encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, he realized that he had been going against the very one who was the Savior. For three days he was blind, waiting for a word from Ananias about the truth of what had happened to him. And it was there that he discovered that it's by grace alone that he could go to heaven and not by the works of the law. It is so deeply ingrained in us 
through religious tradition and custom and peers who speak to us that we must do these good things and then we will go to heaven. And it is so difficult to overcome. Part of the reason is pride in the human heart. We want to do something. We don't want it just to be grace. After the message I preached last week, one of the young men in the church came to me and said, I was talking to a man in my office, and I shared with him the gospel, the good news of grace in Christ. And he responded by saying, if I can't earn it, it's not worth anything to me. That's how he responded. If I can't earn air, it's not worth anything to me. Or sunshine. Or my next heartbeat. Or the beauty of all God has made. If I can't earn heaven, it's not worth anything to me. I want you to look in your heart and see if you are clinging to something in addition to grace for your salvation. When you stand before God, if he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I've asked people that who have sat in Baptist pews for years. And they start giving the litany. Well, you tried to be a good church member. I, I tithe to the church. I, uh, I taught Sunday school. I was a good dad. This is why God's going to let you into heaven? No. Wrong answer. If you are depending on your good works, your moral works, your religious works to get you into heaven, you've put your faith in the wrong place. Today, I would like to announce to you that Jesus alone is the way to heaven. And if you will place your faith completely and totally in him, you'll get there. But there's no other way. And people want to mix this. You know, they want to say, well, I believe that Jesus is the way to heaven, but you, you got to live a good life or you're not going there. And sometimes we get confused about that when people die and we say, well, you know, they said they were believers in Jesus, but I don't know. And maybe we do have questions, but let's not imply by any of our language that people go to heaven because they have done good deeds and they've been moral people. Let's not imply that to anybody. That error is everywhere. And there's only one truth that liberates you. The truth of the good news of grace. That's it. That's it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. See, there's, there's the word of salvation. There's the liberation. You can struggle all your life to keep the law and be who you think you ought to be and try to measure up and at the end you would feel the frustration and weight and despair and slavery of that law, not the joy, not the peace, not the assurance that you are going to heaven. You'd still wonder if you'd done enough. You'd never be settled in your heart that you'd really kept the law like you should have. You'd go to the gates trembling and wondering if you were really there. The only way is what God provided for you and that's the death of Christ upon the cross. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? 
loved me and what? Gave himself for me. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. He gave himself for you. He loved you and gave himself for you. What did he do on the cross? He carried your sin to the cross. All your sin, your shame, your guilt. He carried it to the cross. He sank into death holding in his bosom all the failures of your life. He went into the darkness for you on your behalf. He bore it all, all, all for you. And you cannot add anything to what the wonderful Savior did on your behalf when he died upon the cross. He paid it all, as the song says, all to him I owe. There is no greater love than this. There is no greater message than this. And hallelujah, there is no greater liberty than this. Here is liberty. Here is the truth that changes your disposition in the world, that wakes you up in the morning with a new reality. God loves me so much that he gave his one and only son to pay the full price for my salvation. And I respond in faith to him and he makes me his own. You say, that's too simple. If it were complicated, I couldn't understand it. You say, it's not right. It can't be free. What would it cost heaven for eternity? What would it cost? I could never pay the price. Jesus paid it for me. Salvation is you recognizing I am a sinner. I confess it. Realizing you cannot save yourself. Being willing to turn loose of the pride that says I'll do it on my own. I can do these works of righteousness. I can make it myself. That turns loose of all of that. Salvation comes when you say, I am crucified with Christ. I die to the old life. I die to the law, to the effort to save myself by keeping these rules. I die to it. It's gone. It's over. I am crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not confuse this grace of God for if salvation is by works, Christ died for nothing. To hold on to anything in addition to what Jesus did on the cross for you is to nullify it. It's either by grace, which is unearned favor, or it's by works, which is you getting the job done. It can't be both, don't you see? It's one or the other. So we don't introduce works into the plan of salvation. We know that it's free by Christ alone through his grace. Somebody has been hanging on and listening to those voices in your head. This is too simple. It cannot be free. How could this be true? 
And you have underestimated the love of God for you and the power of his grace. And it's time to let go of the effort to justify yourself and say, Lord, I am depending on you alone. I am casting myself upon the grace and mercy of Christ manifested in the cross. I stand there and there alone. Bow with me, please. As we bow our heads together, I can't make it plainer. I've tried to say it as plain as the Apostle Paul said it in this letter. We are saved through faith in Christ. We are justified. We are made right with God simply by his grace through the death of Christ upon the cross. Our role is to respond to what God has done in his great love for us. Will you do it? Have you done it? Is today your day of salvation? Are you ready to respond to all that God has done to rescue you from your sin and make you his own? Lord, we pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would clarify in every heart where we really stand, what we're really trusting in. Help us know it. And God, help us repent of any trust we have in our own effort that we might come to Christ alone for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.